To love a drug addict is not to give them more drugs so that they would be pleased with you. Even though that's what they say they want, you know that to love a drug addict is to keep drugs from them. To love a child is not to let them run wild and disobey their parents, to let them eat whatever they want and play with whatever they want at any given moment in time. You know that if you've ever been a parent or had parents, to love a child is to discipline at times, to give them only certain things at certain times. It would also follow then that to love your enemies, which is, of course, something that Jesus commands us to do, to love our enemies, it would not be to allow our enemies to overrule us, to allow the enemies of the gospel to run us over, or to allow them to teach us falsely and to just simply accept that teaching. In fact, to truly love our enemies, we must not just turn the other cheek as Jesus commends us to do, that is also true, but to love our enemies rightly, we should also contend for the faith. As Jude says, contend for the faith once passed down to the saints, to beware, to be on the lookout for false teachers, men who have sneaked, who have snuck in unnoticed and started to teach God's flock falsely. To love our enemies is to not let them simply overrun us or take advantage of us or devour us, but it is to contend for the faith, to teach properly, not to hate them with the same hatred that they hate us, but to teach them and to teach each other rightly. Paul makes this very clear in the reading today when he condemns the Corinthian church in kind of a bitterly sarcastic way for allowing the false teachers to overrun them. He says, you're so wise, if you're so wise, he he calls them wise sarcastically, you're so wise, you gladly bear with fools. And if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or even strikes you in the face, you just let them do that. And then he sarcastically says, I must have been too weak, too unwise to allow someone to do that to me. It is kind of funny. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon that bitterly sarcastic, but Paul was not afraid to do so. We are, of course, commanded to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, but that that does not mean that we should not make a defense of the faith against the enemies of the gospel. In fact, what Paul does in all of 2 Corinthians 11 and then part of 12 is he makes a defense for his own preaching, for his own administration of the gospel, for his own pastoral care of the Corinthians against these false teachers. He sarcastically calls them earlier in 2 Corinthians 11 the super apostles, the ones who think they're better than everyone else. 
the ones who come in after Paul has preached to them and then start to preach a different gospel. And the Corinthians are so weak that they just go for it and allow themselves to be overrun. And this is a terror to Paul. In fact, we heard about the thorn in Paul's side later on, and I think in the context it's pretty clear that this is actually what the thorn in his side is. It's not exactly clear, but I think the thorn in his side is these false prophets who come and preach after him and undo a lot of the hard work that he's done. As a preacher, I can imagine how difficult and annoying that would be if I were to preach to you true doctrine and then someone came along and interspersed it with false doctrine and then I had to go and correct the issues all over again. That would be very annoying. It's what was happening to Paul. And so Paul gives this long defense in 2 Corinthians 11 of himself and his preaching. And he does so in kind of this also sarcastic way because the super apostles are so boastful of themselves. He says, if you want to boast, let's play the game. I can boast too. And he's going to go through different ways in which he can boast over and against those super apostles. But then he's actually going to come down to a different point that we're going to get to about God's grace at the end of it and how his boasting is actually all meaningless. But before we get to that, I want to again emphasize this point that you should, as a Christian, and we should, as the church, be willing to contend for our faith, be willing to defend our faith. For it seems to me that in especially modern American Christianity, we take those words, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, to a point where they maybe should not go. Modern Christianity seems to be very concerned, for whatever reason, historical, probably spiritual, would be a better descriptor, with being accepted by the surrounding culture. If you just kind of look in history over the last so many decades, you can see how this has played out in various Christian denominations, not necessarily ours, maybe ours in some ways. It wasn't long after the glass ceiling broke for women's rights that many denominations started accepting women pastors going against their biblical and historical doctrine on the topic. It wasn't long after we see things in modern Christianity starting to take root, maybe in the 60s or 70s, that we start to see churches and church services especially imitating the world's music, trying to be more casual, less reverent, becoming more and more like the world so that they would be accepted by it. And you can see the same pattern over and over again in any number of issues. Whenever the world starts to change its mind on life issues, certain Christian denominations follow suit. LGBTQ issues, that's the big one now. And it's all done, if you notice, when you listen to those other modern American Christians try to defend these practices, it's all done in the name of welcomeness. 
in the name of openness and especially in the name of love. Right? That's the argument. Love is love and we should love our enemies. But as you well know, as we already discussed, to love someone is not to give into their sinful temptations. And this is one of Paul's biggest concerns in his defense here against false teachers. That people would simply give in to someone because they think that they are doing the loving and welcoming thing. That was one of the main problems for the Corinthians was that they did not truly believe in the liberty that the gospel brought to them. The liberty of the gospel means that we can be bold in our confession because we are not under the condemnation of the law. It means we can be bold in our confession because we are justified not by the judgment of the world, but we are justified by the judgment of Jesus Christ alone who has shed his blood for us. And so we can hold firm to the biblical doctrines because whatever the world may judge us for, it does not mean anything to me, Paul says. But the Corinthians are weak in this regard. They think themselves so wise in accepting everyone that may come to them and teach them a gospel contrary to one that they had heard. And so, dear saints, my urging and exhortation for you today is this contend for the faith that has been passed down to you. It is certainly okay to turn the other cheek if you are struck in the face persecuted for the pure gospel which you are confessing. But don't let turning the other cheek mean that your enemies are changing the confession itself. That would be a different thing. Be ready to contend for the faith. That is the true loving of your enemies. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. Put on the armor of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit and be ready to defend the faith. Now, in defending the faith, you could ask yourself, and this is where we'll get into Paul's argument here. What are these enemies? Who are they? Who are the false teachers that would come and preach to you a different gospel? And one major mark, in fact, the major mark of a false teacher that will come to you and preach to you a gospel different than the one that has been passed down to you as saints in his church, in Christ's church, is that these false teachers will be boastful. That is why Paul goes on an entire chapter mocking their boastfulness. The reason that they boast is for a reason that we would in ancient rhetorical terms call ethos. There is logos or logic. That is one way to argue with someone. And there is pathos where we get the word pathetic, where you argue on the basis of emotions. But one of the strongest arguments someone can make is an argument from authority. What someone's status is, what someone's person is that is arguing with you, and we call that ethos. 
What is their ethos? And so to give a certain kind of ethos when the false preachers preach to you, they will boast about various things so that they can establish a certain kind of dominance over you as the super apostles did for the Corinthians. And there's a couple different ways in which they do this. The first is boasting about their status. This is why Paul, when he mocks them, says, you want to talk about status? I have status. I'm an apostle. Are they a Hebrew? Are they a Jew? So am I. I'm a Jew above all Jews. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm better. I'm a better servant of Christ. I wrote words of scripture. I was called on the Damascus road. But that is the type of things that false teachers will value. I can't speak exactly to what the super apostles were claiming other than that they were special kinds of Jews or something like that. But you can think about how our society does value the same kind of status claims that people have. Our society values something that I like to call credentialism. This idea that if someone is properly credentialed or if they have high enough credentials, then you should simply listen to them without ever questioning them. If someone has a doctorate or a Ph.D., then they know what they're really talking about. If someone works for the some high up government office and has some fancy title before their name, then they must really be an expert in that topic. I hope that no one ever thinks of their pastor or thinks of someone telling the truth only on the basis of the letters that come after their name. I had a seminary professor who warned us, whenever you sign emails, do not sign them with Reverend Sawyer Myers, for instance, MDiv. That is the degree I earned. I have a master's degree. But that is not what makes me tell the truth about the Bible. I'm not just an expert in the Bible because I got some fancy degree. I speak the Bible, I confess the Bible, and I preach the Bible only because it is God's word. This is why Paul, earlier in 2 Corinthians 11, when he's introducing this topic, he says, Don't let anyone ever take away from you the simple gospel. You do not need a Ph.D. or an MDiv or any other kind of degree to understand what we confessed so simply ago in the words of the Nicene Creed. That God created the earth. His Son came to redeem you from your sins, and the Holy Spirit is living and active in you and in this church. It is that simple. You do not need a Ph.D. to understand what God wants for your life in the words of the Ten Commandments. That you should hold his words sacred and gladly hear and learn it, as we discussed in Bible study. It is that simple. And so when it comes to defending against these who would boast of their credentials, I want you to know this, that the clear and simple word, the pure and simple gospel, it is your first line of defense in contending for 
the faith. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous. Thy strong word can make it happen. The second thing that these boastful teachers will boast about, about themselves, is in fact something that's a little bit deceiving, and that's their suffering. That if someone tells you how much they suffered, then maybe you would feel a little bit sorry for them, and they they must really know what they're talking about because they've really been through the trial and been through the fire. And Paul says, if you want to talk about suffering, I can talk about suffering. And this is where you can tell it gets a little bit personal for him because he starts to count all the ways that he has suffered. Five times receiving at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea, danger from this, danger from that, danger, 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 toil, hardship, all of it Paul has been through. If you want to talk about suffering, he has suffered. He knows what it is like. And he even points out, I'm not lying. All of that is true. But he will also say, none of it really matters. Not that this means anything to you. Because just because someone has suffered a lot does not mean that they are absolutely beyond reproach. In fact, a lot of false teachers today will use this same tactic. You know, the super apostles were probably doing the same thing. I can't help but to think of these social justice warriors who are constantly talking about how oppressed they are and how they've suffered oppression over years and hundreds of years, maybe even centuries. And what's interesting is that they will talk about oppression as if they're the only ones who have ever been oppressed, as if no one else has ever been oppressed throughout history, and as if they are the only ones who have ever experienced this. But you all know we've all experienced oppression. We've all had enemies. We've all had injustices done to us. We've all lived in this life and in this world corrupted by sin. No one is actually that special in suffering. We've all suffered in various ways, determined by how much suffering and when and what kind of suffering God himself wants to send us. And that's the other thing you should know about oppression and suffering And this is why Paul says, you know what, it really doesn't matter in the end how much I've suffered compared to how much you've suffered, compared to how much the super apostles have suffered, is because suffering is actually a gift. Being made weak is a gift because God chastises those whom he loves. When he sends you whatever kind of suffering you experience, I'm not trying to downplay your suffering. I know it's real. My suffering is real. Paul's suffering was real. But whenever God sends us that suffering, it is to strengthen your faith. It is to work in you hope. It is to work in you perseverance. It is to work in you a better and a stronger faith in Jesus Christ and his grace alone. So suffering is not something that you should boast about in the sense of that it makes you more able to talk about the truth or something like that. 
But you can boast in your weakness, as Paul says, insofar as it points you to Christ alone. Now, the final thing that the boasters or the false teachers will boast about is something that Paul also gives an example of in his own life, although in the third person, is spirituality. Paul tells this story of how he was caught up into the third heaven and how he experienced things which cannot even be talked about and how he was in paradise, in the body or out of the body. It was such an amazing experience he doesn't even remember. And so if you want to talk about spirituality, Paul has a greater spiritual story than any of us probably could say. I don't think any of us have been taken up into the third heaven and been in paradise with Christ and experienced things which we can't even talk about. Maybe you have. Let me know. I want to hear the story. But Paul can talk about spirituality. And again, this is something that people will boast about. Instead of focusing on God's clear word, people will talk at length about their own personal testimony and especially they will tell you about their feelings about God and religion and how you should listen to them because they have certain feelings. They will tell you about how they are very spiritual, maybe not religious, but very spiritual. Or they will tell you about how they found little parcels of truth in all the world's religions and how because of this nuanced view that they've been blessed with, they can tell you all the truths about religion and spirituality or Maybe they'll tell you that no matter what lifestyle they're living, they know in their hearts that God really loves them. And they will boast about their feelings that they have about their own lives and about God. But Paul says when he's talking about his own spirituality, which is really honestly a lot better story than any of those things. He says none of it actually matters. I could boast about these things. If I were to boast about these things, I wouldn't even be lying, but it doesn't matter. And why doesn't it matter for Paul? And why doesn't it matter for us how spiritual other people think you are? It doesn't matter because it's not about you. And it's not about Paul. And it's not about me. And it's not about any individual who comes to you and tries to teach you. Anything but the pure gospel. It is about, as John the Baptist so eloquently said, Jesus Christ alone, when he said, He must increase and I must decrease. It can only ever be about Jesus. That's Paul's whole point here. This is one of our longer readings in the lectionary, and so maybe I'm preaching a little longer about it. 23 minutes so far. We're okay. we got time. Paul gives this whole long discourse, all to come to this one very simple point. You can talk about status. You can talk about suffering. You can talk about spirituality. But there's only one thing that matters, and that is that Jesus Christ has come and he has given us his grace. When we go to defend the faith, when we go to contend for the faith, when enemies of the gospel come to us and try to overrun us and try to tempt us 
and try to defeat us. There is no hope to be found in our status. There is no hope to be found in the amount of suffering we have experienced. There is no hope to be found in our own notions about our own spirituality. Paul says it this way. To keep me from being too elated. To keep me from boasting. When Jesus sent a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Dear saints, we are weak. We have nothing truly to boast about. We are but poor, miserable sinners. We are but beggars. But Jesus has come and given us something so much more valuable than any super apostle, so much more valuable than anything we could ever boast about. He has given us his grace. And so Paul says, if I'm going to boast about one thing, I'm going to boast about this. I'm going to boast that I am weak, but that through that weakness, Christ has worked in me. And that through that weakness, Christ is stronger than any enemy of the gospel you could ever imagine. He is stronger than any suffering that you could go through. He is stronger and more powerful than anything we have to boast about, than any of our own accomplishments or status that we may have. He is stronger than even our own hearts and spirituality. The verse isn't in the lectionary reading, but I read it anyway. 12 verse 10. It all comes down to this one very simple thing. Because of Christ's grace alone, for when I am weak, that is when I am strong. Let us stand to sing the offertory together.